Let's, uh, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that these things that were written were written for us, that through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. And we pray that you would give us hope and encouragement as we look at this true story written down for us today. Amen. Well, what difference does Sunday make to the rest of your week? How should our worship affect our work? Or indeed, how should our worship affect every part of our life? How is um, spirituality connected to reality? Or a, a set of different questions. How do we expect to be treated by those who don't follow Jesus? How should we treat them in return? What about when we sin and we know we don't live the way God wants us to? Does that mess things up? Or does somehow God still have a plan for us? Well, our reading today is full of questions, sorry, answers to questions like these. It is a snapshot of the life of Isaac, a man who received God's blessing and lived under God's blessing. In fact, it's the only chapter in Genesis, the whole only whole chapter dedicated to the life of Isaac. I sometimes feel a bit sorry for Isaac. Abraham gets a lot of chapters. Jacob gets a lot of chapters. Joseph gets a lot of chapters. Isaac just gets one. Uh, the last time we saw him, do you remember chapter 25, verse 11? He was living near this place, Beer Lahai Roy, an address which literally means well of the living one who sees me. But what does it mean to look, what does it look like to live under God's loving, watchful eye? What is the life of blessing about? Especially maybe when things aren't going as planned, or we're afraid of the future. Maybe when things are going well spiritually, but we're having a hard time practically. Maybe with relationships with those who don't follow Jesus are difficult. Maybe when our sinful habits catch us out again. Remember the story. God promises Abraham in chapter 12 that he will bless him and that he will bless the world through his descendants. And ultimately, those promises point us to Jesus Christ and to his people, the church. But first, they need to go through Isaac. And in, so in a sense, we walk in Isaac's shoes as we follow Jesus today. And so we can read this story and we can carefully apply Isaac's experience of walking the life of faith to our own. And also within this chapter, there are three little signposts that point us to, to, to God and to help us sort of split the story up a little bit. I wonder if you can see those signposts. They're there each time the narrator tells us that God does something. So just look down in verse 2. The Lord appeared to Isaac, or verse 12, the Lord blessed him, and again verse 23, the Lord appeared to him. And so those signposts are going to help us split up this story. We're going to discover the story of God at work in Isaac's life. We're going to see how Isaac responded for good or ill, as well as how the world around him interacted with him. So let's dive in, let's consider three lessons for ourselves as we live as God's blessed people in a world that doesn't know him. Uh, here's the first lesson up there on the screen. Knowing God's promises won't make us holy. Knowing God's promises won't make us holy. Verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. So do you remember, Abraham went to Egypt in chapter 13 to escape a famine. But God says to Isaac, don't go there. 
So here's a map, we have the map on the screen, show you roughly where we are. So Egypt is off the bottom left-hand corner of that map. There is Bayer Lahai Roy, where he's living. And God says, don't go to Egypt, stay where you are. Presumably he's already been traveling up towards Gerar. God says, stay there. Stay in Gerar, the land of the Philistines, with Abimelech, the king. Now, at least 75 years have passed since Abraham dealt with another Abimelech. He appeared in chapter 21. Uh, Abimelech just means, my, my father is king. I, I guess the Philistines had as many Abimelechs as we have Williams and Charles's and Henry's and that sort of thing. And we're going to hear lots of echoes of Abraham's <coughs> encounter with that other Abimelech through this story. In fact, lots of moments of deja vu. But I think those echoes are a key point of the story. Because the road that we walk down in the life of faith is not a new road. It's a road that others have walked down before us, just like Abraham had walked before Isaac. But what is going to motivate Isaac to stay in the land of Gerar? Egypt is prosperous. It's the breadbasket of the ancient world. It makes logical sense to go there. Well, how about a greatest hits compilation of God's promises? Look at verse 3. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. So Isaac has known these promises since he was a little boy sitting on Abraham's knee. The promises of land and children and blessing. They appeared in chapter 12. The picture of descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, that was chapter 15. The promise to bless all nations through Abraham's offspring, chapter 22. It's a wonderful collection of old promises. But there's something new here as well. It's the first time in all the Bible when God says to anyone, I will be with you. It is such a familiar idea that we almost miss it. As Christians, we call Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. We forget, don't we, just how extraordinary that is. The reality that God is our companion, that he is with us, that should leave us awestruck and obedient and holy. But sadly, as it was for Isaac, so it still is for us. We could just move on again to him. Sadly, simply knowing God's promises won't make us holy. Verse 6, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. He makes a good start. But it's not long before fear leads to failure. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she's my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca. Because she's beautiful. So, the men of Gerar, they don't seem particularly hostile. But Isaac fears the worst. Abraham carefully plotted his kind of wife-sister deception. He did the same thing to Sarah twice. Isaac just seems to do it sort of spontaneously. You're my sister. She's my sister. He just lies unashamedly about her to cover his own back. But eventually the truth comes out. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and just happened to see Isaac having a public display of affection with his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she doesn't really look like your sister. She's your wife, isn't she? Why did you say she's my sister? 
Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Do you notice how he doesn't, he kind of owns up, but not fully owns up? He, he doesn't say, well, I thought your men were a bunch of immoral womanizers. He doesn't want to dig himself into an even deeper hole. Abimelech, though, isn't impressed. Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. You get the deeply ironic contrast. The pagan king is more righteous than the man living under God's blessing. Abimelech is concerned that guilt almost falls upon him and his people, but all Isaac cares about is saving his own skin. Do you notice as well how Abimelech even begins to sound a little bit like God? Do you remember what God said to Eve in the garden? What is this you have done? Almost word for word the same question that Abimelech asks to Isaac. What is this you've done to us? And Adam and Eve, they try to physically hide from the consequences of their sin. Isaac uses lies to hide from reality, but neither can hide forever. Or consider God's warning to Adam before he sinned. Do you remember that? He said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And now Abimelech echoes those words as he responds to Isaac's lies. He's, Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. They will certainly die. Ab Abimelech is not one of God's people. But he still has that God-given sense of right and wrong. He knows that morality matters and he wants to live accordingly. What a cutting indictment on Isaac, shown up by a pagan godless king. What about us? Are we ever shown up by the world around us? The Bible says that the knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. But that's not an automatic process, is it? We might stand up in church and we say the creed every week. Or we might know the words to a really long playlist of brilliant Christian songs. We might have bookshelves full of Christian books or be able to explain the gospel really well to a friend. We might be able to argue the finer points of theology with someone. But simply knowing God's promises won't make us holy. The path to sinful compromise is always easier than the kind of hard hike to holiness. And it often begins with the fear of other people. We think, what, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to let me fit in? Am I safe with them? Can I somehow manipulate the situation with these people for my own advantage? But the proverb says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. And we may get away with kind of hypocrisy and cover-up for a long time. It might look as if sin has paid off. Do you remember Isaac had been in Gerar for a long time before Abimelech just happened to look out of his window? But he couldn't hide forever and neither can we. We can't hide our guilt from God either. Uh, our sin will find us out if all we ever do is just know God's promises in our head. Instead, God's Spirit has to take that knowledge from our heads and, and He needs to take it into our hearts and then out of our hearts into our lives. Here's the verse, Titus chapter 2. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age. Knowing it isn't enough. The truth has to teach us to be holy and godly. So we, will we ask God to do that for us? Will we say to God, please teach me to be holy. Please take these wonderful truths that I sing about, that I believe. Take them into my life and make me holy for your sake. 
Well, we help each other, we teach each other and encourage each other to pursue holiness. That was one of the things we were thinking a little bit about at the men's morning yesterday. It was great, about 350 men from across the network. And we were thinking that it's great as Christian guys and it's the same as Christian ladies to be encouraging each other, teaching each other to pursue holiness, to live for Jesus. Well, the blessed life doesn't just stop with facts in our heads. Changes our lives. And that includes when we're not just imagining a threat, a danger like Isaac was. It includes when the threats are real. So second, receiving God's, uh, receiving God's blessings won't make life easy. Receiving God's blessings won't make life easy. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. It's famine to feast, um, bust to boom. Isaac's business rockets up the Philistine Stock Exchange. But it's a cutthroat world out there. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. Isaac gets one bumper harvest, but then his business is sabotaged and he's given his marching orders by the king. In fact, I wonder if you noticed that those words of Abimelech's are very similar to the words of another king 400 years later, when Pharaoh says the Israelites have become too powerful for us. Let's get rid of them. And he unleashes slave labour and attempted genocide upon them. But before those very dark days are coming, Isaac has his own battles to fight. Verse 17. So Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. So Isaac does a little bit better this time, doesn't he? He doesn't retaliate. He just quietly moves away, just a little distance, and he repairs the wells. I think there's a map. If we could just move on. Yeah, brilliant. So he's just moving through these different wells. We're going to visit these different wells. doesn't go very far, just into the valley. But as his servants go looking for more water, the troubles keep coming. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarrelled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek, which means quarrel, because they disputed with him. Sorry, it means dispute. Then they dug another well, but they quarrelled over that one also. So he named it Sitna, which means quarrel. So it's another case of deja vu. Do you remember chapter 13? Abraham's herdsmen arguing with Lot's herdsmen. But again, God has his man's back. So God provides land for Abraham, chapter 13. Now he gives Isaac room. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarrelled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. Do you know, earlier Isaac was overcome with fear, and what did he do with his fear? He just lied. Now, there's just a little bit of faith there, isn't there? And where does faith lead him to? It leads him to hope. And we need to learn that, to walk that journey from of fear to faith to hope as well. Abraham's physical blessings, they're a picture of spiritual blessings. The greatest blessings of all are spiritual. What do we say when we stand up 
and declare the creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. We believe, don't we, in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the power to overcome sin, that the privilege of being brothers and sisters in God's children, the privilege of being able to pray to God as our Heavenly Father. What wonderful spiritual blessings. But no amount of blessing ever guarantees an easy life. It's actually often the other way around. If we could just move on to the next slide. 1 Peter 1 verse 6. You rejoice in this. You rejoice in all these blessings, Peter says. Though now for a short time you've had to struggle in various trials. So that the genuineness of your faith may be valuable. It may be more valuable. The genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire may result in praise, glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What might these trials be? Well, they could be the trials that everybody experiences in life. Normal trials common to people. They could be the troubles that come because we follow Jesus. In one way or another, life is hard. Someone may fill up the well that you've dug. You may discover something. It looks so promising. You think this is the way forward now. And then, you, and then it turns into an essek, a well of disputation. Or you might try again and it turns into a, some sort of sitna, a quarrel. Maybe in your own life, or at work, or with neighbours, or family, or friends, or amidst the church, or between churches, or in a nation, or between nations. Places of disputation and quarrelling. And so as Christians, we need to remember... Receiving God's blessings won't make life easy. And anyone who ever says otherwise is lying. I wonder, maybe that lesson feels very true for you today. To be honest, you might feel as if you are living at, or have been living at, Essek or Sitna for a long time in your life. You might think there's no way out of this Essek, this Sitna. But I think Isaac encourages us to keep digging, go and dig another well. Because God knows the way to Rehoboth. His plan is not going to be derailed, no matter how hard the spiritual or the physical Philistines try. Every spiritual blessing is found in Christ. It's all absolutely secure. And so God will lead us to the room to flourish. That is not the same as saying the Christian life is going to be easy. Because Rehoboth, the place of room is fulfilled in relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can trust God to lead us there, even in the midst of trials. And as we do, we'll discover, as God's people, that God has the most exciting plans of all prepared for us. This is the, the third lesson. Experiencing God's covenant will make us his witnesses. Verse 23. From there, he went up to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. So Isaac moves on. God appears to him again, and Isaac responds with worship. He builds an altar. But notice in those verses that there's almost as much about Abraham as there is about Isaac. God says, I'm going to bless you for the sake of Abraham. It's very similar to how he started the chapter in verse 5. He says, I'm going to have all these blessings because Abraham obeyed me. So God is reminding Isaac 
of the covenant that he made with Abraham in chapter 15 and sealed in chapter 17. And he's saying to Isaac, you are enjoying the benefits of that covenant, that relationship with me that depends entirely on my grace towards you and not on anything that you have done for me. But the covenant, it's not just for Isaac's benefits. It makes him a witness to the world around him. So look at verse 26. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Fecol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. So the pagan king wants a covenant of his own with God's covenant man. Why is that? Because Abimelech sees what God has already said. God said, I'll be with you. Abimelech sees that God is with Isaac. It's just one of many examples in the Bible of people outside the covenant looking in and seeing, I want a piece of that. So think of Jethro or Rahab or Naaman. Or come to the New Testament and, and listen to the way Luke describes the early church in Acts 2. He says they enjoyed the favour of all the people. Or think about what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, when he describes what happens when an interested outsider comes into the gathering of God's people and, he, and hears God's word, that person says, God is really among you. And telling his readers how to interact with the world around them, uh, this is a verse we can look at, 1 Peter 3, Peter says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. At the beginning of his letter, Peter describes his readers as foreigners and exiles, just like Isaac. That is what a Christian is, a foreigner and an exile. We're not in our home, but we are God's covenant people. And because we are God's covenant people having a relationship with God, the world will look in and they'll say, what is going on here? As we live our lives pointing to the great spiritual realities of the gospel, people will say, what is going on? And Peter says to us, be ready to give an answer for that. I wonder how we're getting on with that. Are we um, praying for people who don't know Jesus yet? Have we tried inviting someone to come along to church with us? Do we just drop into conversation the fact that we're a Christian and see what happens? Sharing our faith is rarely easy, but it is what we're here for. We are his witnesses. And if you're here this morning and you know you're not yet a follower of Jesus, well, here is an invitation for you too. It is a relationship with God through Jesus forever. A lifetime of discovering the blessings he has in store for you. But for those of us who are following Jesus, what sort of witnesses we will be? Well, let's just finish up with Isaac. Verse 30. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. It's hard not to see that Isaac is finishing this chapter better than he started it. It is a far cry, isn't it, from the lies and the quarrels of earlier scenes. 
So he transacts the covenant with, Ab- with Abimelech. They part on fairly friendly terms. And as the Philistine delegation departs stage left, Isaac's servants return. Verse 32. That very day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they dug. That's the one they started digging in verse 25. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. I think it's hard not to see that as a sign of God's approval upon Isaac at the end of this chapter. Because the well that they have discovered just happens to be the same well that Abraham dug before. Isaac is back at Beersheba. He is walking on the right road. He is walking the life of faith, the life of blessing, under the watchful eye of God. So what does it look like to live the blessed life? How does Sunday affect Monday to Saturday? How do we interact with the world around us, whether we're afraid when life is hard? Isaac's not a perfect person, is he? That's good news. Neither are we. God was gracious to him. God will be gracious to us. Let's pray that we might know and respond to these truths today, that we might please God, that we might persevere through trials and that others might come to know him for themselves. Should bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are full of grace and mercy. You were to Isaac and you will be to us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live holy lives. We pray you'd help us to persevere through trial. We pray you'd bring us to those places of room that we need to flourish. And we pray that you would give us the privilege of being witnesses to you. And that we would do that. We would share our faith with others. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.